stars together, I aligned it Guess it came together, perfect timing Now you trying You know I don't want it, why you trying? On the Zim Who Day podcast I'm very excited about this I got my, my man John cheering He's going to give us a lot of insight throughout the year coming up He's currently working with Cincy Jungle He's a UC current student that's um, doing a lot of good work over there. And I'm really, really excited to have him on the show today. So, John, please tell everyone where they can find you at currently and what is your Twitter handle? Twitter handle is John, two underscores, Sharon. And that's basically where I spend most of my time, you know, just wasting my life like everyone else on Twitter. <laughs> wasting your life. At the same time, when you're calling that waste, you're actually enhancing mine with all that good damn information you give me every week on there. So thank you for wasting your life at my pleasure. <laughs> so give give us a little background on what you're doing right now and who you're working for and what are your ties with Cincinnati Bengals. Right. So I've been working for Cincinnati Jungle for the past uh, two seasons. Um, my th- three anniversary will be in May. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I grew up, I was born about three miles actually from where I am right now here in Cincinnati. Um, I just became a fan of the Bengals when Marvin Lewis took over and basically haven't looked back since. I actually was, I was the son of a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, my mom, and my dad was actually a Browns fan. But I became a Bengals fan just because my friends like the team and I like the uniforms and basically haven't looked back since. But, you know, I, I started really watching, like, film and all that stuff like, a couple years ago when I really got into the draft. And I just, you know, got really good at learning the acumen and just, you know, putting words to paper and just really explaining it all. So that's basically my upbringing into all this. Absolutely, man. I, I did want to actually like speaking on that too. Like, when did you realize that you were good at breaking down film and checking it out? I don't, I, I don't want you to toot. I guess your own horn, so I'm gonna toot it for you. This guy is a beast at analyzing, like you know, film and 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 recognizing coverages, especially in in different things that a lot of people need to probably kind of check out when you're watching some of his videos. When did you realize, or what was essential to like that step, um, in you analyzing film and breaking it down? Yeah, so I mean, I still consider myself an amateur at it because I've, I've never played like organized tackle football, and I always think that it's a disadvantage for someone who does what I do. And people who who have will always have that advantage over me. But it really was just a lot of just you know learning something every day, just being a sponge about the game and all the concepts that go into it. And just if you can learn anything about the sport on a daily basis, you should absolutely do it because it will definitely help. Um, do it will help you work whatever you want to accomplish in this industry and just basically, you know, attaching yourself to people who do know what they're talking about, who have been in this business before and, you know, just having a lot of those great influencers to help you just learn all this, all the sort of knowledge that you need to accustom yourself to and obviously having a passion about it. And I think a lot of guys that I get in touch with that, like that I recognize, there's a lot of people that break down film and stuff. But I can always appreciate the people that are more so homers or people that have direct ties with the city. And I can tell that when you're talking about the Bengals, even if you're not as probably uh, crazy as the Bengals when I talk, I can tell that you really care. And that's really, really important. Um, let me ask you this. Um, so far, like looking at the Bengals in this all season moving forward, what are some of the bigger issues that you're seeing currently with the Bengals that you think are the most immediate problems? 
right now, everything right of Clint Bowling on the offensive line is its own question mark, but it, there's just different levels of, of questionability, I guess. They don't have a starting center, obviously. T.J. Johnson is all they have there. They have a couple options at right guard who are intriguing, but they don't have like a concrete solution. And I think that the top options in the draft would be immediate upgrades over those guys. And Jake Fisher at right tackle is obviously, I, I think, the most intriguing um, question mark because he has shown flashes in the past, but he hasn't shown any level of consistency with those. But there's still a base of promise with him. So I think every position right of Clint Bowling on the offense line is its own question mark. And on the offense, it's all about it's all just about, you know, keeping keeping guys on the field because the depth that they have right now, it'll work, but they just don't they they can't count on some of those guys staying healthy. And on the defensive side of the ball, they lack an inside pass rusher next to Geno Atkins on third down. Mm-hmm. They lack consistent linebacker depth, and I think they could use about one more piece in the secondary to really solidify that position group. A piece like Eric Reed, perhaps. A piece like Eric Reed would be perfect for what they need. Okay, and currently right now, just to give people some insight, I don't know what time we'll load this up on my podcast, but this is uh, April 10th, and it's in the morning time. So currently, Eric Reed, I think, is scheduled for um, his his uh, interview, I guess, later on in the day, and is uh, maybe like a physical or anything. I don't know what, what, what are the steps. So mindful of that, people, that this is in the morning time that we're uh, actually recording this. Um, going back to that offensive line part, one of the things that I always tell people is, um, I wrote something recently where I'm just telling people to not extend yourself and reach on something that you just think um, is the immediate problem, which everyone, including my mom at a bar or any woman or anyone that just watches football or watches the Bengals, agree, offensive line, offensive line. It reminds me a lot of last year when everyone thought we needed a defensive end so heavy, 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 heavy. I've been telling people that I like a lot of good things that I've seen from Westerman, Hopkins, and Jake Fisher in those parts. And those are the reasons why I don't think that you absolutely have to drive an offensive lineman first round. Do you think, with what you just told me, that the Bengals could even get away with something like that? Adding Cordy Glenn, of course, drafting a center, which I would think would be, for me, second round. Do you think that they could get away with that? <laughs> I think that they can get away with maybe two of those guys. If you can get at least get one of those three to become a, not not just a starter but a solid starter in this league, I think that would be definitely a plus. I'm, I'm not willing to bet on which guy will will become that. I think Jake Fisher has the best chances because he's just naturally talented. But you're right. Like last year, um, everyone wanted a good um, defensive end in the first round, and the Bengals recognized that the draft class provided a lot of depth to that position, so they decided to wait to the third and fourth round and found two solid players in Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson. I don't think that they can wait until the fourth round like they usually do to address an interior offensive lineman. I think that the position that the need for that position is just too strong and they're just gonna have to do it maybe around it too earlier than what they usually do. But I definitely think that um, the pieces that they have right now, you can probably find, you know, one solid starter just because I think Frank Pollock can get a lot out of one of those guys for sure. Cool, yeah. I think, yeah, Pollock is going to make a really big difference on a lot of different things. I think uh, from what I've seen in some of those zone blocking schemes and, and these guys getting to that second level on their reach blocks, I think that works in the favor of some of the guys that I'm talking about. Do you think that is an advantage to a Westerman or a Hopkins um, or even maybe a Jake Fisher? Or do you think that Pollock's new kind of um, 
zone. I, 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 what from what I've seen. Correct me if I'm wrong. I always see these different techniques where Paul Alexander will let the defender get up in the guy's chest, and it was almost like the our office alignment were asked to almost bench press them off the chest, and and like it just like wait and take on the impact. And I always thought that was like kind of silly to like let the guy get into you first. I think um, from what I've seen in like uh, Frederick and different guys from the Cowboys, like it's more like the zone blocking scheme where they they're able to get out there and get in space sometimes and move a little bit more. Do you think that am I accurate in that in my assessment? And if if I am or if I'm wrong, do you think that works in the favor of the guys that I'm talking about? Yeah, so in the zone scheme, like the whole, the, the, like the two biggest qualities, you know, exploding out of your stance, getting out into space, and you're not really, you know, in the zone scheme, you're not really blocking, like, a, you don't really have a man assignment, you just have a space assignment, and your job is just to basically uh, get out of your stance as quick as possible, and basically, you know, get get into the zone and basically hit a new guy in your, in your way, and, and guys like Westerman and Fisher, you know, they're two most attractive qualities coming out of college was their athleticism, how quick they can get out of the stance, how quick they can get out of the space, how quick they can get out to the second level. Those guys are tailor made for a heavy zone scheme. And I think that will and, and I think a full switch to his EPS, you know, when you say like when you're messing around with power with Paul Alexander, I think that would be very beneficial to them. And I also think that you know, once they find a center who is basically the opposite of Bonai who was more suited for a power scheme the center who can maybe reach a nose tackle for once in his life that will help him immensely with those two guys to the right of him good stuff man i'm here with john sheeran um you can catch him on twitter at john underscore underscore sheeran on twitter and also on cincy jungle he also does some really great reviews with dh sports tv so make sure you check that out um one of the other things i wanted to ask you just leading up into the draft uh just looking at uh, from what you've seen in the players available, who would you draft at number 21 and number 46, pending no trade down? Who would you like to see? Yeah, so for once, like, you know, this wasn't like a crazy Bengals free agency, but they have, you know, they, they have filled a decent amount of needs. So their options are kind of, you know, they, they're more open than they, than we once maybe thought they were going to be. So maybe, maybe the best position, or maybe the best prospect is a guard. Maybe he's Isaiah Wynn or Will Hernandez. Maybe he's James Daniels at center. But the guy I'm, I'm really looking at right right now is Maurice Hurst, who mm. I think shouldn't be available at the 21st overall spot. But there's a lot of talk that um, Taven Bryant, the guy from Florida, is going to go like top 20, top 15 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Nina Bay is probably going to be long gone. So Hurst is probably going to find his way into the 20s. And I think that if you're looking for a guy who not only who not only can um, come onto the field for you know in, in a rotation at three technique, but also a guy who can rush, the, who can line up at the three technique spot on third down. You know the, the, the traditional the role that Chris Smith played last year for the Bengals. You, you, we, we don't really have that inside pass rush. We haven't really replaced him yet. I think Curtis can really fill that role really well, and also give us some insurance for Geno Atkins who doesn't have an extension yet. But we never we haven't really found that we, we haven't we haven't found that backup yet for Geno, and it's been like five years looking. <laughs> I think Hurst. I think Hurst is kind of that. Is, is not the same type of player, but he definitely provides that same type of explosion and, and same type of power that we see from Gino. I've been looking at Hurst a little bit myself, right? One thing that I caught myself doing every time I go and look at Hurst, though, is that the Bengals just have not drafted a defensive lineman first round. I was looking at right. it since two thousand three. Do you mm-hmm. think that he actually would even get on the radar, just knowing the history of the team? Um, stick to, to like the, like scouting positions 
really filled. It's just kind of like that player that, for me, would be too good of a value to pass up and also would, would provide um, value in another sense for sure. A better value than Isaiah Wynn in, uh, in Hernandez. I, I think better value than Hernandez for sure. Wynn is another question. I, I, Wynn is about that same level of talent, in my opinion, as a prospect. Like for everybody that is a little unfamiliar, uh, if you get a chance, though, check out uh, Maurice Hurst. He's a defense alignment with Michigan uh, Wolverines. I know that a lot of you guys probably already know him in the Ohio area that can't stand when I mention anyone with the Wolverines. But please, people, get that out your head when we're, talk- we're talking about Bengals here. We're just looking for the best available. We- we're-, we're not going to limit ourselves just because we don't like the Wolverines. Um I guess that kind of gets me into my question when I was saying, like, who do you have at 21 and who would you probably go at uh, 46? Um, not Without going into a bunch of detail, do you have, like, what does your draft board look like as far as, like, for the if you were the Bengals? Are there, like, give me, like, five names or so that you would you expect to be there or guys that you really want to uh, pull the trigger on, I guess, er, in early rounds? Yeah, so Hurst is part of that short list in the first round. And after that, um, James Daniels, the center of Iowa, I think he's the best center in this class. I think he has legitimate all-pro potential, and I think, and I don't really say that lightly, I think that a lot of people throw out that word all-pro potential or pro Bowl potential, and they don't really know what it means. But Daniels has that legitimate athleticism. He's only 20 years old, and his frame is barely being filled out at the moment. But I think he has legitimate all-pro potential at center, which is why I think he's worth a first-round pick. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, the guard out of Georgia, I think he can become a regular pro bowler at the position. And mm. after that, after that with Hurst, you know, your options are really available. Maybe you draft a cornerback like a Jerry Alexander if he falls that far. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you, maybe you see if one of the linebackers fall like a Leighton Vander Esch or, a Ro- or even a Roquan Smith would be amazing. Woo! Because there's, man, there's, man. There's, talk of, there's talk about him falling, you know, maybe out of the top ten. And maybe if Vander Hurst goes ahead of him, maybe we see a slight fall for him because he's not like the prototypical size. I don't think the Bengals would draft him because he's a linebacker, but he would definitely um, make, make a strong argument at 21. And a- after that, at, at 46, um, a guy that I'm actually really um, – a guy that I'm standing for, I guess, and a lot of people still know about him, is Austin Corbett from Nevada. I interviewed this guy down at the Senior Bowl. He was a tackle at Nevada. There's a lot of talk about him sliding inside the guard, but he actually snapped a lot at the Senior Bowl because the coaches wanted to see how he would handle it. And he looked like the best center down there at the Senior Bowl. I think this guy has a legitimate chance to, to thrive at any of the three interior spots. Um, he's, he's athletic. He's strong as hell. He's a very nice guy. He's, he's a guy that I'm staying for right now if the Bengals don't have to address an offensive lineman at 21. I think that the Bengals would even be looking at a Josh Jackson uh, at, at that spot. A lot of people get angry at me. He's the cornerback from Iowa. Um, I know you brought up Jair Alexander, who I'm not a bigger fan of out of Louisville. Do you think the Bengals will even put him on their radar? I think people are upset about Josh Jackson because he picked off J.C. Barrett three times. I'm <laughs> still, still not getting over that, but Josh Jackson definitely intrigued him just because he has a lot of ball production. He had eight interceptions and 18 pass deflections against Big Ten competition. That's going to be big in the eyes of, of like Duke Tobin, who praises uh, guys from big school and producing big, big time. I think he ran under 4-5 at his pro day, so that probably answers some questions about his speed. He's okay. got good size, good overall athleticism. His tape is solid. He, 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 would, he would not surprise me at the pick of 21 for sure. Do you have any sleepers around that same area or some sleepers like before round four? I, won't, I don't want to bear it, uh, but are, are, there, are there some guys like early rounds that you think probably should go maybe a little bit earlier 
and they might fall down. You mentioned Roquan Smith. If he fell down to 21, I would actually run to the draft myself and run up there for them. Um, one of the guys that I've been looking at is Braden Smith, um, that the yeah. the guard from Auburn, who I really like his measurables, really, really, really good. Um, are there some sleepers early on that you think um, that 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 we need to be paying attention to um, with the draft? I, I definitely do like Braden Smith. I've been seeing a lot of him lately. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but there, there's a few guards like Josh Garnett, Lakin Tomlinson, you know, okay. guys who aren't very good, but they somehow snuck into the first round. I think Braden Smith has that chance to maybe sneak in just because he's got great size and good tape and very good athletes in the first size. A guy that I've been really um, watching a little more tape on just because I haven't heard his name out there all, all the process because he's been injured, Duke Ajiofor, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he's a pass rusher out of Wake Forest. He's 6'3", about 270 pounds. He's going to test very well at the combine, but he, he was, unfortunately was injured uh, just before it. But he's a guy that's being projected around the third or fourth round. But I think he's one of the cleanest edge rushers in this entire class. And he mainly lined up um, at the left defensive end spot. And Bengals don't really have a backup behind Carlos Dunlap because mm-hmm. we don't really know what they're going to do with Mike Johnson. They might move him inside to nickel three technique and maybe give Jordan Willis more snaps at right end. So mm-hmm. they might have a need at defensive, defensive end to fill out that defensive line. And Duke is, a, is the kind of guy who's really clean with his moves. He's really good at cornering the arc, you know, three steps into his rush and would definitely give the Bengals a lot of depth to that position and would fit around where they typically like to attack that spot. So I don't know if the Bengals have an interest in them, but I do think that wherever a GU4 gets drafted, it'll probably be a little bit later than what he should be. Okay, cool. You you know, um, I, and I need to definitely check that out. When we finish up this podcast, I'm here with John Sheeran. Um, it, it's John underscore underscore Sheeran on Twitter. Also, you can catch him on Cincy Jungle and D8 Sports TV if you want to watch some of his videos on YouTube. Um, but I need to definitely jot down that name and I want to check him out myself. Um, I guess we went over some sleepers that we 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 want to pay attention to. I mentioned Braden Smith. I think one of the guys I think might, might fall in our spot right in our lap too is Harold Landry as well. Um, I don't know. I'm just hoping. We haven't mentioned anything about one of the most polarizing people that I think may still be there at 21. What are your thoughts on Lamar Jackson? I'm, I'm always curious to get, you know, like um, a real um, insider and someone who breaks down film, their, their opinion on it. And if you were with the Bengals, would you even take that chance? Whatever your thoughts on Lamar Jackson is, they better be he's at least a better quarterback than a receiver. And that, and, and I think that's crucial for anybody. But but I'm a, I'm a Lamar Jackson fan. I've always been a Lamar Jackson fan since he rose to the spot in, as a Heisman in 2016. I think that the issues with him have always – I haven't been with his decision-making, haven't been with anything um, above his chest. I think all of his issues are basically with his feet. And his, his, and his base and how narrow it is, and I think that's very fixable. All the things that you look for in a quarterback, I think he has in, in terms of, of mending it to become something greater. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. He's only 21 years old. I don't think anybody expects him to start this year, and if you do expect him to start, you could expect like a Carson Wentz type rookie year where there's a lot of mechanical issues and it leads to a lot of inaccurate decisions and whatnot. But I think that Lamar has a chance to become a solid starter at quarterback, and I wouldn't be upset with the Bengals taking him in the second round or the first round because he probably won't be in the second round. I wouldn't be upset that much with the first round because he just gives them something that they just don't have, and that's a playmaker at the quarterback position and someone to learn to 
to become a better quarterback behind an established veteran at this time. Mm, okay. On my end, I, I man, you should see my DM box on Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that people just continuously tell me I'm an idiot for it. Like when I watch it, like I said, I, I'm not a, I'm not, uh, you know, like I'm not a, a guy that, that knows uh, the first thing about uh, breaking down film. I just know, like when I'm looking for errors and different things like that, I just don't see some of the stuff and some of the uh, the myths that I get. Uh, about him being a running quarterback. Every run that I always see him is always a design run in Louisville's pro-style offense. And I never see him just want to bail out on stuff early. When I was young, I always saw Mike Vick games or whatever, and he would bail on stuff so quick. And even just that <laughs> was a crazy threat to some, to a defensive coordinator that had the game plan for the night before. From the things that I've seen from Lamar, it's always a, a run, you know, um, they, a called run, and he's exactly. not looking to scramble, and and I, that's, that's I, one of the I, biggest misconceptions, I think. I think I think PFF released a stat, like I, I don't know the exact numbers, but of the vast majority of the of Lamar Jackson's runs were designed, and only a, a smaller percentage were were him scrambling, and I think that's where a lot of people just don't understand. They, 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 they just don't watch the film, I guess. They, they don't recognize when he's just bailing out of the pocket or, or, or when he's, you know, surveyed all his options or and just going to decide to just get the pocket. You know, and it's not like that's a bad thing. You want a guy who's able to extend plays and get yardage on his own. People act like that's a bad thing, like he's going to get hurt or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's the best runner in this draft class. He's better than Saquon Barkley with the ball in his hand. And mm. I mean that. That's, ooh. That's saying something right there, people. We're talking Saquon Barkley. A lot of people, that's the running back from Penn State, who a lot of people think may be the best player in the draft. Um, uh, I think one thing that upsets me, I guess, about the team a little bit is no matter how much I think that they can improve in some of these spots and we can wreck our brains on all these small details and different guys that they can draft, at the end of the day for me, The coaching is still going to be the same with Marvin Lewis, I guess, which I'm not a big fan of, I guess. And um, and the other thing is playmakers and elite talent. And one of the people that I don't feel as though is elite, and I feel like he kind of holds his back a little bit, I would say is Andy Dalton. I love Andy Dalton as a thrower, and I think he's a seasoned vet. But when we start talking about going to playoffs and winning games in it, I just don't see how any of these guys that we're talking about kind of get us over that hump. What are your overall feelings on Andy Dalton, and what do you think that it will take for us to win with Andy Dalton? So there's a stat that I always refer back to, and it's for teams who have never won a Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl in, in franchise history for every single team in the NFL came within the first five years of a quarterback-head coach marriage. Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis are entering year eight or year seven. I think it's year eight. Wow, it's been a long time, actually. Wow. So I, I don't have, I obviously don't have faith that this pairing with coach and quarterback is going to do anything more than maybe one playoff win. Mm-hmm. But they still haven't been able to do that. Andy Dalton is not a bad quarterback. You just have to do a lot of stuff to make him a great quarterback. And that's what we saw in 2015. They surrounded him with the best team in franchise history since the 80s, you know, and it still wasn't enough. Obviously, he got hurt and whatnot, but but still, you know, there, there was still that stigma against going against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. There's still some reasonable doubt. And they, they built that team, and that team has since been, you know, it's seen a lot of those guys leave. So they've been, they've been having trouble getting back to that point, and they have, and they, and they 
don't like to use free agency to get to that point. You know, that was that team was primarily built through the draft and built through value contracts and whatnot. So Andy Dalton, there's just there's just too much stuff that you have to do to build around him to 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 get the to, to get the production that you desire from him, and that's that's where all, that's where he'll always be limited. And I don't think you I don't think that. And I think that Marvin Lewis might have a lot to do with the regression of Andy Dalton because um, um, once Carson was basically done here, people thought that he was, you know, he, he was done as a passer and whatnot. And then he goes to Arizona after, you know, Shorts in Oakland, and he has one of the, his best years. I think that Marvin Lewis definitely handicaps his quarterbacks a little bit with with the type of offenses that he deploys. And I think that has a little bit of impact on, on Andy. And I also think that the stigma of Marvin has, has influenced Andy's, like, you know, I, I think Marvin Lewis is the problem in terms of like, like the constant primetime failures. And I don't think most. I don't think that started with Andy. I don't think that was a problem with Andy coming out of TCU. I think that guy um, who beat JJ Watt in the Rose Bowl. I don't think he had a problem with big games until he came to the Bengals, mm-hmm. and that's where all the stigma came from. You know, Andy can't win in the playoffs and whatnot. I think that's more of a Marvin Lewis issue than Andy. Agreed. Andy has never been like a great quarterback. But I do think that he had the mental makeup of someone who can win big games. And once he came to the Bengals, that all kind of faded away. Agreed. I, th- I feel like Marvin always does this thing where he gets everybody so so edgy and so lackluster mentally that it kind of takes them out of the almost like this mental edge going into a game um, where he doesn't want to. He, he just has everybody on edge throughout the week. He doesn't let any of the guys talk about it. He, he tells Andy constantly, oh, it's just another game and stuff like that. And he doesn't let that, you know, that's what I, I want that savage mode to come out of him. Just now when I heard you talking about him, I could tell you care, you know. And a lot of times I just don't feel like Andy Dalton really let gets a chance to let that, that fierce competitor that he has inside of him. I don't know if he has it. In seven years in it, that's really hard for me to say that I don't understand if a guy or or I don't know if a guy has the passion I'm looking for, and that's crazy to say, and I and I agree with you 100. percent I think um, Marvin has done a lot to 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 play a part in that, and um, when I see Tomlin at his press conferences, that fires in his eye, and I don't know if, if anybody is putting fire in Andy's eyes. I, I think Hugh Jackson may have helped that, you know, and maybe that was some of it when he went away. I I don't know, but um. I guess with all this stuff, it kind of makes me a little sad that we're talking about all these guys <laughs> that we think are, we're going to draft and everything like that. And I think it'll help us out a lot. But at the end of the day, will it be enough? All right. This is the Zim Who Day podcast. I'm here with John Sharon. Uh, we went a little bit over our time. You can catch him, John underscore Sharon, on Twitter. Um, also, I'm going to be posting on my Instagram page um, probably later on today or tomorrow, some one of those days. Like I said, we recorded this um, uh, April 10th morning. So if you see Eric Reed or something um, signed later on today, the then just know that that kind of affects our, our thinking pattern a little bit. Um, catch John Sharon on DH Sports TV. That's D as in dog, H as in house, DH Sports TV on YouTube. Is there anything else that you want to let people know um, that we can expect from you coming up this year? Um, no, pretty much the same content as I've been writing about. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on killing it. Uh, he's at UC, so I'm going to let him go to class. Uh, John's out there killing it there as well. So I hope to get him on here as much as possible throughout the year. And also we're going to do like a maybe a recap or something um, after the draft if John will let me <laughs> So uh, everybody keep on staying tuned and who that?
I'm not from the surfing. I'm blocking my head, it's like Shaq. Look at them niggas who that? Diamonds, they white and blue, black. My channel, honey, your shit got your stocks. Yeah, I heard these niggas sneak dissing. 